thanks for joining us. This is our first time podcasting. This is not our first time thinking about motorsports, F1, IndyCar, or any other sort. Um, and so, how about we introduce ourselves? My name is John, and I'm joined by Elena. Say hi, Elena. Hello. Uh, for the official disclaimer at the start of our podcast, for the purposes of this podcast, I officially know nothing about anything. Well, Elena knows something about several things, but none of them officially. All right. Um, this is going to be a podcast that is crossing the F1 and IndyCar divide, as that is something that Elena and I both uh, have gotten interest in. Um, and I can start by just sort of introducing myself. Um, I am one of the Drive to Survive imports. A common friend of Elena's and I uh, was haranguing me to watch this when um, suddenly I did, and it was very compelling. And as someone who had always sort of vaguely liked cars in a uh, boys like cars kind of way, it was then very interesting to have you know the human element behind it as well and so started obsessively following formula one and then this year about mid-year um our group sort of started indycar started dawning on us and uh elena has more of a background in all of these but for the rest of us it was very nice to have this American open wheel sport that had a very different vibe, but was very fun. And so uh, that is what I'm coming to it as, as a pure new fan who is still learning everything and just overall being psyched about things that go through. Elena, how, how about you? What is your history with motorsport fandom? So, I mean, I've watched, I've watched, car racing on and off since I was a kid. I never was like super into it, partially because my dad really wanted me to be. And so of course I couldn't. <laughs> but um I watched it some through college. I didn't I was like aware of what was going on, followed most of the season, cared who was winning, but I didn't watch every race. I definitely didn't watch them live if they were in the middle of the night. And I was a college student, so getting up early was also dicey. <laughs> but uh after after college uh this was still several years before drive to survive um i i was working for a car company and i sort of wanted to get into sports i thought it would help me connect with my colleagues and so i was like yes formula one i will watch formula one complete mistake uh, not, <laughs> <laughs> even my colleagues who were into motorsport all watched indycar but that's fine. I'm a morning person. Getting up for the races was no big deal. I'd watch them by myself in my living room. It was a good time. Uh, and so I've been I've been sort of fairly into it uh, for the last, wow, now almost 10 years. And uh, as Drive to Survive came out, all of a sudden, all these people I already knew and liked were really interested in this thing that I liked. So it's been fantastic having uh, a lot of new fans who want to talk about it all with me and it's gotten me interested in you know things that happen off track as opposed as 
opposed to only caring about the racing. I actually watch Quali pretty regularly now, which I never used to. Uh, so it sort of helped me double down on my fandom. Although I have not actually seen Drive to Survive. I've seen a couple episodes, but I just couldn't get into it. Um, and then recently I have sort of gotten more invested in IndyCar. I was, I mean, I'd seen IndyCar races before. I had been to IndyCar races before, but I never really made a point of watching them. I was always kind of like, eh, on ovals. And I guess I was kind of dumb and didn't realize that they do other things. But <laughs> they do other things. It's not all ovals. It's actually very few ovals. Um, so, Import, important news. Yeah. Yeah. So Breaking uh, in a uh, podcast listening space near you. So, so yeah, I started uh, getting somewhat interested in IndyCar. I was a big Al- uh, well, I mean, I wasn't a big Alex Rossi fan, but I was an Alex Rossi fan when he was briefly an F1 because I really wanted him to be an American to root for. <laughs> uh, and so I like had vaguely followed his career in IndyCar, and now I pretty much watch every race. And we are both Alex Rossi fans. This should be clear. This man has a very unique personality that is the antithesis of marketable or engaging or friendly. But he's, don't you just gotta love it? He's the angriest man in motorsport, and it works for him. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, um, as a podcast that is intending to straddle the IndyCar and F1 fandom divide, uh... There was a piece of news that came out recently that gives us a very nice launching pad to sort of start finding our rhythm and express a lot of thoughts and feelings, which is that the Andretti family has been knocking at the door of Formula One. Uh, Mario Andretti, of course, being a Formula One world champion, as well as an IndyCar champion and Indy. 500 winner um and his son michael being a great indycar racer if um not having such success in form <laughs> a brief formula one career um and they have been trying to bring the stars and stripes to the formula one grid in a real way and not just an adjunct of ferrari way um, that has met with, you know, uh, sort of mixed reactions from, uh, the Formula One grid itself, but, uh, for, for a lot of Americans and a lot of fans, utterly exciting, fantastic family, fantastic brand, you know, bringing real American presence to F1. Um, well, and also, I mean, the Andretti name is well known not just in open wheel racing. I mean, IMSA is also they have they have a large IMSA presence. Uh, they're, I mean, for lack of a better term, racing royalty. Yes, I, absolutely. And so, what could make more sense than to bring them into Formula One? Well, I don't know. At- I can't think of anything <laughs> that would. No, except that this summer they brought back after taking some feedback from uh the formula one teams they linked up with general motors and cadillac to 
compare their bid as an Andretti General Motors Formula One bid. What was your reaction when you saw this news, Elena? I was honestly quite surprised. I didn't think that GM was going to be interested in getting into F1. And I'm still sort of interested to see if it happens, to what extent it's a true technical partnership, and to what extent it's sort of an Alfa Romeo style uh, branding uh, endeavor. But it's exciting. I mean, Cadillac is a big name in racing. And it's it would be really cool to see a big American name in Formula One, which we haven't had, I mean, since Ford. Well, except Ford, I guess, was Jaguar, which it wasn't even American. <laughs> right. And uh, that was uh, one of Gunther Steiner's previous semi-American endeavors. Ugh. Yes. I, and so, likewise... Uh, I when I heard this news, I was absolutely incandescent. I dropped into you know the group chats. It's happening! It's happening! Andretti has <laughs> GM. It's happening. Formula One has to lay down now. We're getting an eleventh team, which is great in F one because we need more cars on the grid, and we are getting an all American team coming in waving the stars and stripes i have my american flag and dready hat here you know ready to uh go to all the races just as i took it to montreal last year in protest of f1 so i was absolutely thrilled um elena what would you say has been the reaction from across the pond you know, not so positive. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of like, why do we? Why do we need them? Um, and obviously, this is not coming from people I'm talking to personally. This is mostly from what I'm reading. Uh, why do we need them? Why, like, why are they going about it this way? Like, don't they know how things are done? Like, very. It's a lot of the same sort of language you hear applied to americans a lot like sort of that they're brash and they're they don't know how things are done they don't respect tradition and it's really sad (laughs) it is it is why they need to see that this is awesome and just get on board so what do you think are some of the reasons why uh formula one has not let uh, immediately into the arms of Papa and Son Andretti, as you know, I have certainly. <laughs> I mean, so I think honestly, the number one thing is that it to the current teams, it represents a threat to what they see as their potential sponsorship base. F one is clearly expanding in North America and especially in the U.S. and. I, so you might think an American team that's going to bring in American sponsorship dollars, that's going to sort of raise the tide for everyone. But uh, I think that the way they see it is, you know, we could go get those sponsors without another team. Like We have the ability, but if this American team comes in, naturally an American company is going to want to sponsor them. And, you know, if I'm, you know, Joe the plumber or Joe, Joe, whoever, and I've got a company and I want to uh, sponsor an F1 team. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I Googled it. There are two, there are two American teams. 
There's this one, which is Cadillac Andretti. And there's this one, which is Haas. <laughs> you know who I'm going to go, who I'm going to go talk to, to give my sponsorship dollars to. And two teams in particular, well, McLaren has been really pushing in the U.S. market. And, you know, some of that makes sense. Zach Brown's American and he could sell, he could sell anything to anyone. Uh, but so like, I think he sort of sees those as sponsors he could go out and get. And he has been very successful with American sponsors, especially with the McLaren sort of IndyCar and other race series, Formula E, et cetera, tie-in. Um, and I think also Williams is, is having a big push for like the American sponsorship dollars. I think that's part of why, you know, Logan Sargent is going to be joining uh, the uh, F1 grid. Yes, th- that's right. That's right. Elena, we have an American already on the Formula One grid, and he has immediately been eclipsed by the Andretti Cadillac behemoth. But we should not neglect our good Logan Sargent, whom we hope will be a good driver and continue to sport that awesome uh stars and stripes swipey swoopy helmet he had in the junior formula i would love to see that i would love it i mean i you know logan personally take i could take him or leave him but i'm very excited to have an american on the grid and i am really hopeful that he will be good yes i absolutely and we will see and you know he has a Good, you know, good-natured teammate in Alex Albon, who, I, I wonder, when I was at Montreal this year, I took my Williams uh, hat, which was a Latifi hat, to get the signature of uh, Nicholas Latifi and Alex Albon, the Williams drivers. And when Albon recognized, looked down at it, and saw that it was a Latifi hat, his, you know, jovial demeanor noticeably clouded. So I, I wonder how much he is truly, you know, if there is a cutthroat F1 edge behind uh, the jovial album <laughs> where, you know, Logan Sargent could have some serious hazing coming his way. Oh, yeah. What driver was it who, you know, locked his teammate in a bathroom? I... I think that might have been Magnuson. Yeah. We have that happening uh-huh. in the in the Williams garage. <laughs> we will have to see. Now, um, uh oh. Okay, sorry, my computer went to sleep on me. <laughs> okay, it's back. We're back. We're all good. Um. Okay. Okay, so I want to. So, I want to go back for a minute. Why do you think that uh, there's this hesitation to welcome Andretti Cadillac to the grid? Well, obviously, Europe just can't stand American success. <laughs> you know, they've been flouncing around in Formula One without us for so long that they can't imagine. They can't. Uh, you know, just visualize americans coming in and succeeding in yet another place where europeans had been dominant there's been a long history of americans succeeding when they tried to join f1 (laughs) 
Well, you know, not F1 so much, but, you know, the world at large. You know, we are the hegemon, and they have a certain amount of resentment um, of, you know, Americans, despite our obvious superior virtues. Um, But also, I mean, what's interesting to me... They are obviously not, uh, the Andretti's are not playing it cool or through the back channels uh, that F1 uh, says that it prefers. But I, I, I was texting you about this a little bit before we got on, that I wonder if those back channels were ever really going to be open to the Andretti's, even if they pursued them. Because... Formula One, from everything that we can see and read, has a decades-long history of being this incestuous, self-dealing, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, we export, you know, petrodollars or launder money, and we all make out ahead. And... I wonder how much those systems and social networks are concentrated in Europe and concentrated in um, perhaps also some other global uh, multinational connections that don't fare as well when uh, exposed to American anti-money laundering laws and uh, sort of general transparency and, uh, you know, the profile of being popular among the hegemon. But also what was interesting to me is the idea that Formula One teams, you know, they have to build cars. You know, this is what makes Formula One sort of unique. But they still use a lot of suppliers, and there is a lot of money that goes in to Formula One. There is a reason why Joe Sayward can charge, you know, hundreds of dollars for his digital magazine that is focused on the industry side of F1, because there are a lot of people making money around this. And are those supply chains, are those suppliers are those supporting infrastructures just naturally foreign to and very wary of any american franchise particularly one that says that it is going to build and run its majority operations from the united states where it could develop rival suppliers or just simply not use them and threaten their position in formula one elena i'd be really interested in your thoughts on this yeah i mean i don't i don't see it as being so much the supply base that feels threatened um i i do think it's it's really going to be much more concentrated amongst the teams with the competition for sponsor dollars, competition for consumer dollars, because I mean, there's to a large extent, um, formula one teams do a lot of their development, a lot of, and a lot of their building of parts in house. Um, and 
I don't I don't see the suppliers really cutting them out or being worried about being cut out themselves to a large extent because if there is one person globally or you know a small handful of people globally who can do what you're looking for you're going to use them even if you're in Indianapolis and they're in England but um I think that there's definitely sort of some amount of like the Formula One sort of machine that feels threatened or feels like it would be cut out by a U.S.-based team and a U.S.-based team that is actually U.S.-based as opposed to Haas uh, <laughs> and a team that uh, sort of leans in to the, the stars and stripes of it all as opposed to hiring Europeans to run it, hiring only European drivers, hiring, you know, all the people who are already in F1, as opposed to importing yourself in the Russian flag. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As opposed to, you know, importing people from IndyCar or people from other race series. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's less of a like component supplier type thing and more of a uh, potential. And this is based on, Vibes only. Um, sort of. This and- is a vibes based podcast. <laughs> yes, we run on vibes. Uh, bringing in sort of talent and experience from other places and places that have not sort of used the traditional F1 pipeline. That makes sense. And, you know, with a. Uh, solid helping of just sort of cultural hostility that uh, some of our uh, favorite IndyCar personalities, Connor Daly, Alex Rossi, have uh, described of their experience of having gone from America to the European Formula Series and not felt the warmest of welcomes. Well, and this is also something that you... I think many Americans can relate to traveling abroad. And like, I'm not saying all Europeans are horrible people. They're not like a lot of them are very nice, very welcoming people, but this is Elena's position only. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you hear a lot about like, Oh, well, you know, if Americans going to France and people in Paris being very rude. Right. Um, Or other stuff like that. Like there's sort of like a, Oh, the dumb American stereotype. And it feels like sort of an extension of that, which really honestly offends me because, you know, we're good enough for F1 when they want our sponsorship dollars or when they want me to, you know, buy another hat, which I will. I will always buy another hat. But we're not good enough when we want to actually, you know, be on the grid, either as a driver or as a team. Absolutely. So this is going to be an ongoing storyline and subject for discussion. Uh, I I think a nice way to close our inaugural experimental episode would be with a segment that I've given Elena no warning about, (laughs) which is how can Andretti Cadillac succeed? We are now uh, the consultant sweeping in and offering our advice for how they can succeed. And so that Elena can uh, gather her thoughts, I will start with the idea that floated to the top of my mind, which is that 
Andretti Cadillac needs to hire Mattia Bonato as team principal to bring them, you know, Ferrari established credibility, someone who knows how to run a top of the budget line team who is immersed in the technical side of F1 and knows that side and can guide them uh, in all of the ways that F1 thinks that they won't be able to manage. And, you know, if at the end of it, they end up coming second in the Constructors' Championship because they had some goofy strategy calls, that will be a successful inaugural tenure for their first team principal. Your (laughs) thoughts? A-plus idea. Um, I might switch things instead of having as your team principal, maybe have him lead up the Cadillac engine division for, for the F1 team. Ooh. He has much more history or successful history in that sphere. But will they investigate him more closely so that he won't get to run a few seasons with the illegal engine? Ooh, that is tough. (laughs) Well, and also he probably wouldn't get, you know, the Ferrari dispensation for cheating. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right. So, uh, Elena, give your advice to uh, our good friends at Andretti and Cadillac. What are some things that they need to do to succeed? So I think one of the the big ones is that they need to demonstrate they're going to bring in money that would not otherwise come to the sport. Uh, Because so if there are sponsors who they think they can get, who they don't think that any other existing team can get, I think they need to, to show that. So... I'm not sure who that would be, but I'm sure there are people out there and probably some people who are pretty big who would want to be affiliated with Andretti Cadillac, but you know, or like who's heard of McLaren. Um, And so I think getting those guys to sort of sign on and say like, yeah, we're signed up to sponsor this F1 team and, you know, let Williams, let McLaren go try to lure them away and say, oh, well, don't you want to be on a car that currently exists? And when that fails, I think that that would be a selling point to the grid. Mm, interesting. So you think uh, rather than, uh, I, I can see how rather than, uh, you know, immediately taking away existing sponsors, bringing in new sponsors would be a selling point. On the other hand, won't any, uh, you know, new sponsor that, you know, snubs uh, McLaren or Williams or Red Bull or Mercedes. Won't that just be seen as more evidence that they're taking away our growth potential? You know, I think that the ex- that's that's a concern. But uh, if Andretti if is able to leverage their current sponsors in other motorsport series and Cadillac is able to leverage their sponsors or their oh, you know, yes. advertising partners. Cadillac. <laughs> that's a little bit of a name to put on a car yeah well like i i'm sure that cadillac has signed up to provide some large amount of money to uh to this endeavor right i mean it's an andretti team but it's a cadillac team because they're gonna Mm -hmm. fund it and i mean cadillac is not in a hurry to put their name on any of the existing f1 teams and there have been opportunities to do that i mean look at uh sauber and you know all of their branding op- opportunities 
or we, Red Bull. We could have had Alfa Romeo Cadillac. Well, no, it would have been just Cadillac, right? Instead uh, yeah, of the- yeah. Oh, you know, just find new ways to make the Alfa Romeo system uh, even more clearly nonsensical. Yeah. Well, Alfa Romeo is maybe a bad example because they're part of what is questionably an American company. Because uh, Stellantis, <laughs> formerly Fiat Chrysler, uh, owns Alfa Romeo. But, like, with uh, the rumors about Porsche joining with Red Bull and that clearly following, falling through, if Cadillac wanted to be an F1, just be an F1, they could sign on with Red Bull. And they'd sign mm. on to a winning car. That That seems like a good opportunity. But for some reason... They think that Andretti is the way to go. Uh, And so I think they need to make it clear what Andretti is offering that they think the other teams are not. And so that they can try to convince them that this is going to bring in new money. We're making the pot bigger as opposed to just dividing it up more ways. All right. And Elena, I'll ask you one last question, and this will be just purely off the dome. As a uh, multi-hundred million dollar organization that is establishing a plant in uh, suburban Indianapolis with support from the broader Detroit area as well as Charlotte, North Carolina, and establishing a satellite facility in um, the UK, as they have described as their plan, possibly with a tie-up with an engine manufacturer that is based in Viry, France. Possibly. Possibly. What would you suggest as a best practice for our friends at Andretti to make sure that all of this definitely goes smooth? (laughs) Uh, document everything, have clear processes, and share best practices from facility to facility. I mean, the way that you do something should be the same regardless of whether you're in Indianapolis or if you're in France or if you're in the UK. That definitely sounds easy to do. Oh, yeah. It's super easy. That's why people pay like millions and millions of dollars to uh, consulting firms to do this kind of work for them. However, I have faith in Michael Andretti's ability to span the globe and bring it together into a Cadillac that punches on the Formula One grid. I'm really excited to see where this goes. I like, I'm very optimistic and I like part of me thinks I shouldn't be because I don't, I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I really want it to. Maybe I'm not optimistic. I'm hopeful. Absolutely. And I think that's a great note to end on. So hear us, Michael Andretti. We're hopeful. Make our hopes come true. All right. I'll buy your hat. We will buy your hats. And the need for better Andretti merch will be a core topic in a future episode. Thank you for joining us. Good night.